We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured and Satellite on Make Time for This, probably part of the Euroset Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. And on this episode, we're back to talking movies. We're here to talk about the feature directorial debut of Celine Song, Past Lives, a film which is soon to be released in my part of the world is the now pretty much out of theaters everywhere in the US and has just landed on VOD. So the timing actually isn't bad because one way or another at home in theaters, I think everyone on all sides listen to this, that should be able to see this film very, very soon. Andrew, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm you know, we're out of summer movie season. We had Mission Impossible, we had Barbie, we had Oppenheimer. We all or at least you and I uh, enjoyed them uh, in varying degrees. Uh, as we crank up towards the end of the year, obviously we get uh, our award season work in. Uh, but for right now, we're going to talk about a movie that for me came out a few months ago, but is still something much like Oppenheimer and even Barbie that could factor into those discussions. I uh, saw it a few months ago in a theater, and last night I had a promotional credit on Amazon, was able to buy it. For eleven dollars, so it remains in my library until Jeff Bezos decides I can't have it anymore. But which will look forward to talking about it. Yes, I believe you. Um, yeah, I, I do believe this is this is an awards movie. I feel very confident. Um, I think this is very likely to be the A twenty four kind of indie sleeper that will make it in on the fringes of best picture um in that eight nine ten range there's some heavy hitting stuff to come to be a lot to kind of shake loose from that and honestly the two summer blockbusters i think are undeniably going to be nominated for best picture both from you know i do think how good they were and who made them and also their phenomenal success 
I think past lives is there with them. If you're to kind of lock anything in right now, I think they're the three movies to this point in the year that to me feel like best picture nominees at the Oscars. So yeah, I mean, I, I think generally, and as people might hear in the weeks to come, I have noticed it's been a weird kind of barren time for movies. Um, post Barbie and Oppenheimer and certainly some of that is still just everyone being so afraid of those two movies and all competition really having cleared out Um, but I have started to feel a wave of stuff coming which is just kind of at a different level to most of what I've seen this year and Past Lives is very much the kind of the front of that for me Um, but yeah some other films i've been looking enough to see recently and some more that i'm gonna see very soon it just feels like there's something of a leveling up in the type of films and we're coming into that kind of that kind of fall slot fall as you guys would say i'll i'll bow to my american audience mostly here um where would, i think uh, you would you say autumn is that I where would, you would go yeah absolutely. i, I like I like that word better, so I, I'd say we call it. I think it's, it's definitely a better word, um, but okay, we'll go with autumn. I think fall fall works because it's it's often associated fall releases with the Oscar season and with American movie talk. So I think we're getting there, and we're in a place now where all the better movies are starting to come out or are soon to come out. Um, I think trailers are dropping for a lot of the stuff that has not yet come out, but will before the end of the year and may well factor in Bradley Cooper's uh, Maestro, which caused all of its own controversy, which you may get to down the line. Uh, It seems like Michael Mann's Ferrari is going to come out. Of course, Killers of the Flower Moon is actually not far away at all now. Um, We won't be too far off from talking about that on the podcast. So, Plenty to look forward to. Um, let's start with past lives, though. And I will let you go first because you saw this movie first a very long time ago. I know you do get some enjoyment from getting to see something before I see it because you can be completely there's no no prospect at all of your view of a film being tarnished. Um, you get to react, and in this case, you get to react and also kind of stew with it for quite some time to figure out how you you felt and you've also had the luxury that i haven't had yet which is you rewatch this film and i've seen it again more recently than i have so um let's let's go right back to your initial viewing which was what probably two months ago approaching three months ago now i think when it got released in the u.s um yeah how did you respond to or how did you find your past lives experience um this is one I had been um looking forward to um from when I think I was I think this was at the Bo is afraid viewing in uh, Southern Pines North Carolina where you know I, I hope to maybe meet you next summer Adam for uh, a different kind of make time for this episode as uh, golf descends on Pinehurst number 2 that being said uh I'd seen the trailer I think I I asked you about it and I, I said, what's like the, what's the deal about past lives? Just not having done any research to see if you had seen it, but assuming you had, and I think the feedback you gave me is that it got rave reviews coming out of Sundance. 
Um, so then, you know, I looked forward to it again, got sat down in, in my local theater, not an hour and 15 minutes away because I was lazy. I'm pretty sure I saw it on the opening weekend. And uh, with only the expectations of, hey, some critics like this, which moves the needle a bit for me, but is not by any means definitive because um, I'd like to, you know, get my own take on something. And, you know, this is this is an American film, but it also has like a lot of uh, South Korean language in it. And I've uh, become a fan of South Korean cinema over the last few years doing this podcast with you as you introduce me to these various directors. So it's kind of a um, a language that I, is kind of com- comforting for me on screen, even though obviously I, I don't speak the language, but that language and me reading the subtitles is something that I've come to associate with me having a very enjoyable time in a movie. And the subject matter also is something that kind of like hits me where I live, like life thinking about choices and uh, people that come in and out of our lives and where we are now, where we've been, where we're going. And so for all of those reasons, this was the recipe for a movie that I'm going to come away with a strong reaction to. And for all of those reasons I did, but also I think it's just a really well-made film with some breathtaking shots, great acting, and a, a really, I think you said early earlier, script grounded in realism that um, feels before very we started authentic. recording. Yes, uh, well, you, sorry. You can repeat it. No, that's okay. Uh, I, I, I can't remember what of our conversations are recorded or non-recorded unless I've said something that's going to get me in trouble, and then I remember it. Um, but yeah, just like just just assume script. you're under oath at all times at this point. I think is is safest. Yeah. So for all of those reasons and just uh, like the journey it took me down, uh, especially on the big screen, but even last night, um, uh, as I was watching the movie, I was I had my cell phone out and I was just my brother really loved this movie as well, and I was just like taking pictures of the shots that like uh, that like again were just like blowing me away again. And because of the context of the moments for which they come. And we'll talk about that as well, because I think just the the blocking, we'll call it, and the the framing does a lot to heighten the tension and the emotion of each moment. And he sends me a message at like 10 o'clock, 1045. He's like, I'm going to bed. I'm like, oh, sorry for bombarding you. He's like, no, I'm happy to wake up to shots from past lives. I just wanted you to know I wasn't ignoring you. So that's how much I like this movie is I was just sitting around sending him also, also the closed captioning quotes for some of the more like gut-wrenching uh, lines but yeah that was my long-winded way of saying of my experience of seeing this movie was expecting to like it and ending up loving it it was the big buzzy film coming out of sundance i believe it went to sundance already with all distribution held by a24 but a24 generally don't distribute outside of um north america at least i don't know if they even do their own distribution in canada so they managed to get all kinds of bidding wars for international rights and do plenty of sales coming out of Sundance. It was the film that, um, as there kind of has tended to be one in recent years where there is like, oh, this is an Oscar movie that emerges. Um, baggage that is for better or worse for any film to have attached to it almost a year before the Oscars will take place. But that was on past lives coming out of that. You mentioned the kind of critical acclaim it got. It's really being universally kind of adored. I think that's very, very hard to kind of 
find any issue with either. I just think it's it's a case where the film is just kind of objectively pretty, pretty good. Um, I do think there is a universal truth to it. There's a truth to the language, to the gestures, to to how it is kind of constructed and told. Um, I think the filmmaking is really, really strong. The acting is first rate. So it was kind of dubbed from Sundance as the first great film of 2023. And I do think even for the likes of me and people in this part of the world who are seeing it, much more in the later stages of 2023, it, it is one of the great films of the year, undeniably. And it's something that I just feel like is going to grow in my estimation. That's going to kind of rankle with me and stick with me. Um, I didn't get to rewatch it before this. I hope to rewatch it very, very soon. And since I saw it, I've kind of wanted to because I don't know. It's not like the whole film. I'm not saying this is any kind of criticism of, of the movie overall, but it's not like the whole movie has you wrapped or that every moment of it is kind of this feeling of the most essential thing you've ever seen. But there are a number of scenes that really get to the heart of some things, um, get to the heart of matters at the heart even, that I just I found pretty astonishing in terms of pretty all elements. I do think the writing is exceptional here, but the direction too, so well shot. And again, the performances are great. Also the music, I want to get the music in now because I don't want to forget it, because it's not always kind of driving the film. I think the score is really, really good, and it's from Christopher Bear and Daniel Rawson, who listeners may know from a band I really, really have loved for a very long time, which is Grizzly Bear. Um, and, you know, I could think of another romantic film, which had a much darker uh, edge to it that used Grizzly Bear's music. Do you know what I'm what I'm referencing? Um, I, I believe again. I believe we referenced it on a recent episode of this podcast. You you made reference to it. We did hundred uh, percent the Barbie episode. Uh, Blue Valentine. Correct. Um, so big big Grizzly Bear fan, and really have liked how their songs have been used in movies. But this is original score from two of the members that I thought worked really really well. Um. To get into the film itself, I guess part of the setup here will be to do something which is, I guess, kind of lazy, but I also think is undeniable. And these are comparisons I had heard a long way out, and I heard even before you went in, maybe a little bit more blind than I got to go in. Um, and I knew you would like it because it was being compared to movies of Richard Linklater. Um, and obviously the Before Trilogy like, there's an element to that at this point where it just feels kind of cheap to compare anything where it's a romantic film and people are smart <laughs> and they talk and they walk and they go through life. They try to make sense of all of it as as Linklater-esque or reminiscent of the Before trilogy. But I, I do think you can see where its influence kind of lies here. Um... I also talk quite a lot about In the Mood for Love, particularly with some details of its ending. And I think uh, an element of, I don't know, um, 
mysticism or mythology or that just kind of hangs over it all as a somewhat interesting piece of framework and an idea of a romance that spans countries and spans years and decades in this case i think that's something that certainly can be picked from uh in the mood for love as well um and i, I think to past lives credit is all of that and it's also something that is a very much its own thing its own very unique thing and that probably comes from the fact that it is a largely autobiographical story from Celine song she is admitted to this and spoken in quite a lot of detail quite openly about how the character of Nora played by Greta Lee is based on her and this is very much like a situation that she encountered in her life um, when we'll say a former flame from before she moved across the world from South Korea to Canada um, resurfaced in her life at a point where yeah she's now you know married with a is it an American yeah it is an American husband she's married to a playwright in New York City so like I, I do think that certainly gives something to this film like we you've already used the, the word authenticity and there being something that feels quite real about a lot of the interactions I think that in some senses is as simple as because it is all very real uh, but it's never it's never that simple you can't just be oh <laughs> this is this is based on a true story that's gonna make it good um so i, I think it, it takes from there i think a lot of work to kind of find some separation and find ways in and ways out that aren't necessarily tied to the personal feelings that are there that are built up and to be able to just get on set and then go and make the movie as opposed to using it as I guess one large therapy session for yourself is is probably like something you've got to be very very conscious of um, and have a real handle on in that situation Celine Song this is her feature debut as I mentioned but I part of what's interesting is the kind of work she's done before I don't know have you heard anything read anything about um Celine Song's very highly acclaimed theater work. Uh nothing past what I'd read on Wikipedia after seeing the movie. Well, I don't know then if you even remember the specifics of what you might have read on Wikipedia. Um I believe her last production before uh making past lives um, the last thing she did before that was she was uh, in the writing room on Amazon's fancy series The Wheel of Time um which that was a pretty random one in there do you remember that uh i i do because what was the movie um that had wheel in it that we watched in either 2021 or 2022 um uh, God, I don't the director know. had the director had two films come out the same year and they were both really good uh, it was oh was it was like, uh Wheel of Fortune and Fancy. That's what it was. Correct. Correct. Uh, because I think when I was trying to watch that, I accidentally passed this or it came up on Google and I was like, what is Adam trying to get me to watch? But anyway, that's sorry. That's irrelevant. Well, I don't, it doesn't seem like a match at all for Celine Song, although maybe it is. I, we'll talk at the end maybe about some of the things she seems to do next. Um, but prior to that, her most recent and again, very highly acclaimed piece of theater was a 
production of Chekhov's very famous, iconic, oft-adapted The Seagull. Um, but how Celine Song decided to adapt it was using The Sims 4 on Twitch. Um, <laughs> which it just sounds interesting in a very formal way to me. I really don't know without seeing it. It's kind of hard to get any feeling for what that is. But it is intriguing when you see this film to see someone who has come from a project like that um, and maybe has just a really kind of wide and diverse area of interest to where she might be pulled to next. Um, kind of makes past lives feel all the more of an achievement, all the better. And maybe announces Celine Song as an even more major voice in film than it might already seem just off the merits of this this movie in its own right. I think there, there's a lot there that's very, very interesting about the path she's taken so far. And a lot of playwrights and directors of theatre do turn their hand to film when they get the opportunity. They don't always handle it quite like this. They don't always make something quite as cinematic as this, particularly when there would be a way to make this look quite stagey or feel like a play and not be very dynamic. But I think quite astutely, Celine Song recognized it had to be a film. And she's talked about, well, it's about time. And, you know, the medium of time is is film. It's motion pictures. That's the whole point of it. It's, it's what it gives you that a lot of other mediums don't quite have the same kind of ease of access to is the ability to take a jump of 10 years or 20 years at a moment's notice and have it be entirely credible. Um, and I, I think the recognition to switch mediums for this, but to also then execute in the way she did is really, really notable. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, the film itself is the story of Nora, who at a, the age of about, what would we say, 12? Uh, yeah. That, that, that feels right. Maybe 12 to 14 kind of range. Um, that's the that's the number they keep referencing throughout the film. So is it fourteen? Then, it was a fourteen, twenty-four, and thirty-four. No, it, or was it, it was twelve? Okay, 
Yeah, so um, it's 12 years, 12 years, 12 years. So like they that's sorry, it's 12 each time. That's right. Yeah. So at a very young age, at the age of 12, Nora, um, which is her you know, chosen kind of English name, which the film kind of opens with sequences of her and her sister um choosing what their English name would be. Um the family emigrate to Canada, to Toronto, before Nora eventually moves herself to New York. And in leaving South Korea, uh, we see that, I mean, nothing more than like the friendship exists with a 12-year-old boy in a way that I guess is common for 12-year-olds. Um, a 12-year-old called Sung. There seems to be like this kind of academic rivalry between them almost, uh, albeit one-sided with Nora very much the top of her class at all things at all times. Um, but just the kind of thing that, okay, these two people are great friends, they're 12, and then life changes and they find themselves in different places. And I think in most people's lives, like that would be that uh, romantic friendship. Otherwise, it's like... This, uh, this stuff happens to all people all the time. Um, and I guess kind of that's really how Nora is set up for it to be. Um, but something about Nora has stuck with Hayesung. He was particularly heartbroken by her leaving and he's still kind of searching for her. So the two come in contact because her father is a director which again, this does line up with Celine Song's real life autobiography. Um, her father is a director, and Hey Sung is leaving comments on his official Facebook page saying he was friends with his daughter when they were 12 and he wants to get in touch. Nora stumbles across this, and the two reconnect. And with Nora in New York, with Hey Sung in Korea, I, do we get a specific city in Korea? Uh, they reference Seoul quite a bit. They do reference Seoul. Okay. She, Nora um, at one point says, uh, I miss Seoul um, and will come visit me there. So I think that's, okay. I, I look forward, I look forward to my future baseball trip there. Listen, I'm leaning on you because you rewatched this last night. So these are the details <laughs> you're, you're going to have for me to dig me out of any holes here. Um, so with Nora in New York and with Sung in Seoul, they embark on this, I don't know, like I was going to call it a relationship on Skype. I think that's certainly certainly something that comes on one side of this. Do you want to comment on this? Does this, this remind I, you of anything, Andrew? <laughs> not not for me personally, but... Uh, I, I meant the... us. I mean, we did a podcast last oh, week where okay. it was 6 a.m. for me, 1 a.m. for you. And I had just seen Past Lives like two days before. And I was like, God, this is there's a scene in it where literally their schedules are like that. It's like they're they're both invested. They can't get away from it at this point. I was like, this is like, this is like Andrew and I, except instead of it being some sort of romance, it's podcasting about baseball and movies. Oh, there's some sort of romance. Don't you worry, Adam. <laughs> uh, but so, so that part resonates. But uh, what I was going to say is what I've learned, you know, having coworkers that are in the generation uh, preceding me, what they would call how that relationship developed, they would call it a situationship, apparently, is the lexicon. Oh, okay. Now. Yeah. 
That doesn't basically, make sense to me. Because this wasn't a situation... Like, they had to create this situation. This was not a... The situation wasn't one they found themselves in. My understanding of that term would be, like, two people who work together, and they're in the same place at the same time, long periods of time over, and then something develops. That's a situation to me. I will hold my hands up. Not an expert on this, but I would have said two people opposite sides of the world having to Skype. That doesn't seem like a situation ship, but I'll take your word for it. I, I too have not Googled the definition of this to know exactly how they use it, but the, the read that I got and how uh, Sung and Nora kind of appro- approach their conversations is that there's something that one or both of them know that is developing, but ne- neither one of them will take the step to make it real and like see it go from oh we've reconnected this is a friendship ha 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 we're talking at these odd hours of the night for both of us and it's inconvenient to our lives and we enjoy it but we get to a point where it's a little frustrating because like neither person is turning that key to get inside the door you want to keep it at arm's length um and at that point it's just like what are we doing here like what is this working towards so if that's how that <laughs> term is uh, used for the 20-somethings of 2023, then uh, that was how I, I read that situation in that moment after they reconnected. I mean, I also... If I was to have any issue with this film, I, the issue I have is with the character of Heisen. Who I just think is a bit of a loser. I think the film kind of actively frames him like that, which is, again, interesting when we take into account the autobiographical nature of it. And, uh, you know, even in the real-life scenario here, was there a loser in the situation? Yeah, it's Heisung. It's real Heisung. And in in the film, it's like... I don't know. I won't put, I'll, we'll, we'll talk spoilers later, so I won't, I won't get there, saying... but... I, I He's just... like Tim Robinson in the court sketch going, what the fuck when this movie came out? <laughs> I I hope not for for his sake. I really, really hope not because, God, I don't know how you recover from that. That's a really, really tough beat for anyone. But do you know, do you know what I mean by that? Because even when you're talking about it's any kind of will we or won't we make this something more my read on it again, I've only seen it once, is all along I felt Nora's kind of flattered by the attention, but Hey Sung is like, oh, I'm in love. Like this is the one and I'm I'm gonna track this person down. I'm gonna find them and we are gonna talk. And even at a point where they're talking, and yeah, there's something developing, there's a spark, but they're still separated by such a long distance that Nora is able to maintain a kind of, I don't know, objectivity to it that is just gone for Heisai. He's like, no, we're we're in love. Like, not not well, necessarily vocalizing it, which is a key part to the movie working, but it's like, that's his life, and he's living it, and he's, you know, she's living in New York and already seems to be successful, and he's living with his parents and seems to be pretty miserable about that and is going out with his friends and just getting shit-faced uh, and his friends seem like quite an interesting group like I, I do think there is a 
I think the film does a really good job at being so well written to make all of it work and sing in a way that people get invested in emotionally. And I've no doubt that lots of audience members um, will be very much attracted to Sung and to everything he represents in the story. But to me, I just couldn't get past the fact that I felt like he's a bit of a loser and he was carrying, not by his situation, but by his attitude. Like he's carrying a loser attitude with that. And I, I thought the movie actually does, like, sure, is he a handsome loser? Is he a proactive loser? Yeah, but I, I did think there was something very defined about how he was being portrayed in this whole story. Well, I think I think that's what makes this work so well, is because you can have both of those reactions to it. Because I, I come down kind of sitting on a fence about Sung. And where a lot of my impulses were geared towards what you thought. And then I've had some uh, other people see the movie and be like, like uh, a poor guy, just guy that couldn't get the girl. Um, but I view like his development through this film and his obsession, we'll call it accurately with Nora as it's more about him than it is about Nora. And he's in love with the idea of Nora and what she represents as he's becoming more unhappy with, his life because we talk about him having a girlfriend and uh they're not together because it didn't make sense for them to get married because he's got a he's ordinary and has an ordinary job and has an ordinary income and he can't make it work he's running from how sad he feels about himself when he comes to find her 12 years later and throughout the film nora is pragmatic about everything and like you said she's um like rational about it all and like flattered by the attention and when it gets to the point where she's like this this guy's not going to come to see me he's off in his own little world and it's he's just uh a, he's a scaredy cat for lack of a better term she cuts it off and then goes to the artist retreat meets her future husband and she's even pragmatic about that relationship as they're having the conversation very in bed very when... pragmatic like i don't, don't get me wrong she is maybe like one of the most pragmatic people in a way that is terrifying and certainly terrifies her her husband Arthur in scenes that we see true like I think would terrify me if I was him too there's there is a level to that and again that's effective for the film because it also does fuel an element of well maybe she will just feel all of a sudden that you know what I should be with Hayesog and if she did she'd just pull the trigger like bullet to Arthur's head but I I do think even with Hayesung, you talk about that girlfriend and the fact that I didn't get married. I, I'm not saying this is the case or that the film wants you to believe this, but the film doesn't put any real effort into going beyond that, where that could easily be, oh, you know, yeah, I've got a girlfriend, but she goes to another school. That that story. <laughs> like, re, I and I really do think, like, oh, how convenient is it? It's like when he goes to meet her and he's like, oh, no, I don't actually have it. We're not going to get married. And he has this story to tell. And like uh, our focus is really it's Nora, but it's also it's Haesung then true the lens of if not how Nora sees him, how he sees himself around Nora. So we don't really have to deal with anything beyond that. And ultimately, he's someone who like he, he's 36 when the film finishes. And to me, he is just a giant child who at 36 has realized maybe I should stop chasing this woman who was a 12-year-old girl who I was kind of friends with who moved away and has been married for a long time and lives on the other side of the world. 
I, I'm being uncharitable and it makes it sound like I'm knocking the film, which I'm not. I love the film. Um, and I think it really works, but I do. I think that character is really interesting and interesting to me because it didn't do a whole lot for me. And yet I think the film has a level of magic to overcome that and to kind of stop that from being something that forces you to question it or that takes you out of it. It's like, no, you buy into this is this sweeping romantic epic, even though I don't know, it kind of feels like what what is he what has he got to offer? Other than like the most romantic notion, like which is, oh, you know, we're meant to be together. And I, I, that's ultimately, and we talk about Nora being pragmatic. It's like you, beyond that, it's like, yeah, it comes down to, oh, sure, we're meant to be together. Well, I'm actually with this guy, and here's what my life with him is like, and here's what we've actually got. You know, that's what being together is, as opposed to Hey Song being like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna travel across the world. I'm just gonna show up, and it's like, I find him interesting. I find him interesting just in terms of how the whole film keeps afloat because I do think he's like a weak spot but I don't think that's unintentional because again you can't separate here that there is an element of autobiographical going on and there is it's it's not as uncharitable as I'm probably making it sound to watch true but in real life there is a reason why you know one guy was chosen one guy wasn't and that also has to filter into how you're going to portray things on screen at different points throughout the movie i've had too many conversations with friends past present who don't listen to this podcast hopefully and if they do i don't care you'll find out we've if had, they do. yeah we're, we've had conversations where i'm the, tell me the context of the situation with this potential partner and i immediately based on the duration and you know how the communication is coming across and just what's being said Understand fully in my mind that they have romanticized a situation that is not there, that is not real, that is grounded in a fantasy that they have created in their own head. Something that may be like a light flirtation, like them growing up together and then, you know, finding each other across a Skype screen. And one person in this scenario likes it because it's fun. You you like flirting with someone. It's a good thing to do. And the other person thinks that this is the dream girl one that got away. So his character really lands for me because i've had circular logic conversations oh with people I, like this i don't and, deny and, don't deny that he's real and i the but uh nora really is the one that grounds it in the actual realism both in that type of thing existing ever and also in the film because of her pragmatism but also because of the real human nature response that comes from like she said he was this person i grew up with he was this guy across the screen now he's a real human being standing across from me and also in that uh several day walking around going to the statue of liberty eating pasta drinking at the bar she doesn't have the full context of what we know as viewers of this film about like this guy seems like he's got nothing going on for him. He's stuck in the mud and he's like just trying to feel something. So he's searching out for Nora. So I think her response is authentic as well. And then so is Arthur's because he has no way of knowing if 
the fake scenario that he's creating where, you know, your long lost love, the one you're meant to be with is coming to get you and I'm the evil American. I've got uh, the quotes. I, I can read that out if you want. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Arthur says, our story's just so boring. We met at an artist's res- residency, slept together because we both happened to be single. We realized we both live in New York, so we move in together to save money on rent. We got married so you could get a green card. So Nora says, oh, you make it sound so romantic, to which Arthur replies, right. That's what I'm saying. I'm the guy you leave in the story when your ex-lover comes to take you away. To which Nora replied, he's not my ex-lover. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up all there as to her having a fully realized view of what this situation is and him not. So should there be more of an issue in trying suspending disbelief, which again, I will say the film overcomes this. I didn't like this is something that in talking about it is very apparent to me, but in watching it, the film washes over you. You experience it on an emotional level. So you're not engaging with it intellectually. Is it something though, where the fact that she is indulging this with this man child at this age where her life is where it is like in some ways that doesn't seem believable but then I guess the other part of this that you or I can't speak to and which is essential to the film is this is an emigrant story and this is the story of well what what is identity and is there is there an added pull there to something that even you know it's someone from that place and that time that is representative to something. Is that a truer version of me? Like I can see all of that on the screen. I'm fully aware of that, but I can't, I can't understand that. Like maybe that is the answer to a lot of what I'm saying where it's, you know, yeah, well, that's part of the obvious pull here. It's, you know, you've got one figure who is representing the life that was chosen in America, in the Western world that made her into a completely different person than she might've been if she stayed here where this is the other person. And I guess maybe that is the complicating factor or that is the pull that means beyond just being dismissive of this and being like, yeah, I don't need this. Like, why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting my time? That Nora does have a level of interest in at least like playing this out like intellectually where I don't know I I don't honestly know first of Hayesung has like as much going on intellectually as Nora does. Um but he's he's just he's not. He's playing everything out with like hard on his sleeve. Um this is something that I noticed the second time that I didn't notice the first time. The first time, despite like you said, all of these red flags and what we know about Nora to be a pragmatic person. There was like a 2% chance, I thought, like, because, especially because I had no background knowledge of Celine Song's life, that, you know, it would lead to something that, uh, I, I, spoiler alert, sorry, I should have thrown that up. Uh, I, I, I cut this out. Uh, no, I can't, uh, that's not how editing works. I don't have time <laughs> for it. You don't just get the call to cut it out. You haven't spoiled something yet. Uh, then I'll just change the subject. Um, well, no, if you're you're about to spoil something, well, we can put up a spo- spoiler warning from now on if you're about to. Well, my point was just going to be the first time Is, I watched it. Are we putting up a spoiler it, warning or not? <laughs> yeah, I thought that's what that was. Um, okay, spoiler spoilers warning. ahead. 
uh, brought to you by Ad Redacted. Um, there was a 2% part of me that thought like something could happen between Hasung and Nora. And in watching it the second time, the word that you used a few minutes ago, indulging, becomes a lot more apparent. And that she has that tie to who she was, her history, her not being in Seoul anymore, her feeling, as she stated, uh, less Korean and feeling simultaneously more Korean and less Korean when she's with him. Um, there's that tie. But also, at the end of the day, she is smart enough to know that like, human relationships and love are more than a fleeting feeling of, A, attraction to someone, uh, because there's that next day where you're eating cereal on the couch before you both go to work. And that's just as much as part of being in a relationship as is uh, the being swept off your feet part. So that became so apparent in the second viewing that she was always going to, as emotionally powerful as this whole interaction is, be with Arthur. But she also has an emotional outpouring at the closure yeah. of this, which again, to me, is like a revelatory emotional outpouring. Like that's a, I've learned something about myself <laughs> and who I am and what I want the rest of my life to be and what it has been up until this point and what all of that means as much as anything else. Um, like I, I do think obviously the film is fully framed as this great kind of I don't even know if I could call it unrequited. It certainly is from Haesung's side, but it's like unrealized love story. Like it's the framing, it's what you would think from seeing the trailer, it's what you think from the posters. I think it's what a lot of people just come out of the movie and that'll be the level it works on. It's just it's not quite that to me. Uh, I will also at this point just admit to being biased because John Magaro's character of Arthur just absolutely rules to me. Um, I think in part this is because John Magaro is one of the better supporting actors working at the moment. I also think the dialogue he gets in this movie is absolutely some of the most electric. Um, there are a couple of scenes, but in particular the scene where is it after the first night that Nora and Haesung have kind of been out experiencing New York? I think maybe the day where they went to the Statue of Liberty together. Um, yep. Where Nora and Arthur are lying in bed and they go on to have a pretty long, detailed conversation that is so impeccably written it's so sharp emotionally it's so sharp in terms of its wit i don't know if we've really talked with ups now there are quite a few like really good laughs in this movie and just a, oh, this is like so well and kind of sharply keenly written and um, getting at the truth of something where it's like i i had a few quite big laughs and a lot of lines and i think particularly a lot of arthur and nora's back and forth but when it comes down to it i think that sequence like that is the movie for me i mean the ending is pretty great but the stuff that really took my breath away comes from a lot of that and it's a lot of what arthur had to say and it's a lot of stuff that now like i can quote some of the lines here and i think you and i could talk about them and if anyone hasn't watched the movie i think it's just going to sound cheesy as hell 
Um, but I think it's just like genuinely affecting and really, really like powerful and gripping. And it's it's the moment where the film for me had me like kind of more invested in what Arthur and Nora had and on the edge of my seat, which sets up the stakes for really the final act and I guess a, a very interesting long night with the three of them sitting awkwardly at a bar together um, but like Arthur talking about um, watching Nora or often thinking when Nora is asleep and the fact that she speaks in Korean in her sleep that's one of the only times he hears her speaking in Korean um, that whole section to me was really really impressive as a piece of writing i think the the line which is the line from the film for me that will stick out is him saying to her you dream in a language that i can't understand obviously that is working on multiple multiple levels here and is really just getting to the absolute heart of the film and of their relationship which is a very happy relationship that's working but is also just like a real relationship you know that's like normal and that maybe isn't perfect and as we've already mentioned Nora's is like deeply pragmatic about it. um so much of that there's there's Nora saying yeah you, you forget the part where i love you and him responding i don't forget that i've trouble believing it sometimes like so much of this just sounds like yeah 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 when when we're kind of talking about it but it really, really carries. I think one of the ones that is in the trailer is Arthur saying to her, uh, it's just that you make my life so much bigger. I'm wondering if I do the same for you, which is like just deeply romantic, like really, really great writing. But all of this is like, it's packed in a scene that's got real momentum and it's like back and forth and back and forth. And I guess part of where I really enjoyed their interactions and where that becomes my favorite part of the film is I think like I think uh, Greta Lee's performance as Nora is absolutely phenomenal and I think she will be nominated for best actress you can book that one in there too she is really sharp and really funny and the, the character in the film who gives her the most consistent opportunity to break out that wit and to pit her wits against someone who feels like her equal is Arthur. And that ultimately, again, like kind of pays off where you're like, yeah, I get why this works. I get why this is why she, she's chosen this and why she's not going to throw this away because there is something here that is very important and kind of deeply fulfilling to who she is. And it's it's on display. You can see that they are each other's equals in kind of a whole variety of ways i just love love that scene that whole sequence i do too i think there's a like a showcasing of like a male insecurity in a relationship that's not like shitty <laughs> for lack yeah. of a better term because yeah. because we, we see just how honest he's being about the whole thing which she'll say like are you mad and he's like why do i have any right to be mad of course i'm not mad but he still like communicates with her. Um, well, he's he's I mean, not a child. I, I mean, is the key thing where I do think there is something childish on the other side and just the kind of I'm following my heart and I, I don't care what obstacles are being there. I, I think in his case, 
you're right, a stereotypical portrayal of this kind of thing, it would be that Arthur gets really mad and angry and he's throwing stuff and he's smashing stuff and you're like, yeah, God, this guy is an asshole. And then she does just go and she lives happily ever after with his song. But there is something much more... Well, I th- is it much more real? I'd like to think it is. Maybe it's not much more real of, of all men, Andrew. Um, but I certainly respond much more to the fact that can he be mad? Can he be can he be concerned? Can he but can he like discuss this in a way that isn't I don't know, out of control? Yes, he can. Um, I mean, even in the first like really good scene we're introduced to them with where she's talking about the concept of inyon about you know people that are meeting in the present it means like even i think they say even if you've uh brushed up against someone uh in the present and you've met in a past life you can tell uh but if you meet someone in the present it means you've met in a past life and people that are together in relationships or something have met over and over in their past lives and then she he's asking do you think we have Inyon and she says no that's just something Korean people say <laughs> to seduce people and he gives her the look like yeah yeah and then that's when they get well, together that, obviously like, and that's on Greta Lee's part that's a phenomenal piece of acting because oh, yeah. she she delivers the line and she's like it's just the invitation to her to kiss her and he's just kind of sitting there and she is she's looking at him and looking at him like Really, kind of just like nice subtle detail that I think a lesser film than this doesn't like. She delivered the line, and then he's just immediately kissing her. And it's like there's these little details, there's just an element of I don't know, hesitation, anxiety that just makes the film and all of its various interactions between all the different parties feel real. Um, like a lot of my favorite stuff with Heisung in the movie is I'll see Heisung and Arthur, and you put them together, which is like really really gripping to watch deeply uncomfortable um i was thinking of a friend of ours who won't listen to this if he did he'd be able to identify himself who does not like watching things that you know make him feel uncomfortable make him feel awkward make him cringe and god if anyone's like that like there are certainly moments in this which are just unbearably unbearably tense and awkward but in a way that it's like it's real it's not manufactured it's not it's like these are the various kind of situations these people have found themselves in in their lives and then that all comes together and guess what it's awkward and the movie knows to play that it knows how to play that um yeah there's one scene that i love when they're with when they first meet and uh he's speaking to Sung in korean and Sung's responding in english and they decide to go get pasta there that's like the more light-hearted scene of it all and then we get the awkward bar scene where uh arthur's furniture as uh they're having a conversation with him and and oftentimes about him and then nora leaves and they get to kind of have their moment together and just the i don't know it's like hey sung's having like an out-of-body experience and it's just like this is the thing he like obviously put off doing for the longest time because he wouldn't go see her when they were 24 and then does it. And I think he's still got all those feelings inside of him. And then there can be that degree of everyone else around him seeing that he's kind of foolish in this endeavor. And yet Arthur meets that with just like so much grace and humility and humor and just like 
kind of tries to as it's in the smallest way he can kind of meets him on his level and bonds with him and indulges him in that moment. And that comes down to, I mean, John Magaro, you, you said it before. I love him. I first remember, I probably first noticed him in the big short, but first cow, he was great in a much different role in a Kelly racket movie this year, showing up, uh, put that guy in something and whatever it is, is going to be elevated by his presence. Yeah. He, he really is someone that it's very, very exciting to see him in a movie at this point. I honestly like this though. I mean, I don't want them being like the 14th supporting character. I'm sure he can do a great job of that in some really big movies. He is better than that. He can carry movies, or if you're having him in a supporting role, he should be right up top. But yeah, he's been some really good stuff and worked with some really good directors where it does feel like there's a certain kind of filmmaker who he's caught their eye going back to uh, Carol, I believe he's in, Todd Haynes. That might have been one of the first things where you got a pretty significant role that was very high profile. I think of a really, really elevated quality. Um, but yeah, I just he couldn't be more excited every time I see him, and I just think he more than delivered, um, with his performance in this, and is just as essential. Like the the other two parts don't work if not for what he does. I would love to live in a world where he's going to be nominated for best supporting actor at the Oscars. I just think by way of being John McGarrow and being this kind of quiet supporting figure, he probably will find himself edged out on that. I hope I'm wrong. Um, Greta Lee is kind of remarkable, though. I, I guess we should probably reflect on that for a little bit more. She is really, really funny. Um, pulls off, I mean, humor is something that I think she's a bit more experienced in her career to date of having worked with, but she pulls off the dramatic moments in a way where it's kind of like, like, I mean, I've been like, what? This person is 40 years old and she's not already like an A list leading actress. Um, she may be on her way to that. That could be something that becomes possible going forward. Just uh, couldn't be any more impressed by how good she is. And she's had a weird career, particularly in film. Um, certainly some better work or higher profile work in television. But when it's come to movies, her career has been weird. And for Celine Song to have identified it and for for her to land in this role, to execute it in this way is very, very impressive. Yeah, I thought she was outstanding. Um, the thing that I remembered her for, for was uh, she was Jake Johnson's girlfriend on uh, five episodes of New Girl. <laughs> that was the first time I ever saw her. Uh I know she's been in uh, Spider-Verse uh, movies, so, uh, and yeah, she's... She's on Russian Doll, I remember her from Russian Doll. Uh, I believe she's on The Morning Show, or was on some episodes of The Morning Show, so, like, she's done some higher profile TV work without anything ever really clicking in movies-wise before now. Yeah, and she, like I said earlier, I think if, like, if this performance and character doesn't work the whole film just collapses in on itself um because of the nature of what it's doing and what she has to pull off 
Uh, maybe that voice role in Strays is what really sends her to the next level in terms of A-list stardom. I don't know, Adam. I don't think I can do it. I've been like, I, I kind of feel like I should be seeing that. It's a major studio comedy and you know how much i love major studio comedies you do you do love yeah. those i've seen that trailer god knows how many times um i mean able to bring myself to see it yet we'll see maybe at some point i find a window and i take myself along to watch strays um i'm sure Greta lee's work and that will truly elevate it um Anything else we want to talk about? Do we want to talk specifically about the ending or any impressions of the ending before we finish up? Uh, yeah, I guess we can get into that. If, if you had queued up how you want to describe the ending, I can give you my uh, initial re- reaction and feedback. Um, I haven't got queued up, but you know, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll work I it saw out, it, Andrew. I saw it yesterday, so I can... Well, I can we get this we get this extended sequence at the bar where it seems to be very late at night early morning i'm taking it as Sung has like a super early flight that he's taking he has his bag with him so he's going to be checked out of his hotel and they go for dinner and it seems like they're going to go for drinks to kill time until he has to leave for the airport so nora Sung, and arthur Go out for drinks. They're sitting at this bar together. Um, Sung has the absolute minimum of English. Arthur has the absolute minimum of Korean. And where early on they're kind of trying to have this three-way conversation, that kind of goes away pretty quickly and it becomes Nora and Sung talking. And Hyesung talking very openly about his feelings for her and how he imagined all of this and how he, you know, imagined what his life would have been or could have been in different, you know, different set of circumstances where she doesn't emigrate, all this kind of stuff. Um, where Arthur has to just kind of sit there and take it while knowing what was going on, but also, I guess just having a level of trust in his wife and a level of confidence in his own right of what they've built. Um, perhaps informed by the conversation that we talked with them having the previous night. So they leave the bar. They return to Arthur and Nora's apartment to say goodbye. They call an Uber and Nora walks Haesung to what will be the pickup point for the Uber. So they walk along and we get a continuous take, a long tracking shot where they're walking along this empty New York Street and they're speaking very little to each other it's I think pretty fair to say loaded with a kind of romantic tension Um, if not sexual tension certainly romantic tension where let's be honest the whole movie has set us up to this point of being like are they going to kiss and I think, again, Greta Lee's performance and how both actors play the scene deserves a lot of credit for even me, who long ago in the film had stopped thinking that was on the table. In that moment, I will not say I wasn't swept up and be like, God, they might kiss. And, you know, maybe it won't be ridiculous if they do. Um, this might be where I'd have to pass it off to you because you might have more memory of the exact specifics of what Hey Song says. I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't, but 
as to as to how that part of the interaction ends before setting up the very final moments of the film. Yeah, they have their kind of subtle, quiet goodbye, where it appears that Sung's going to get into the Uber and go on his way. Um, and then he says to her, what if this is a past life as well, and we're already something else to each other in our next life? Who do you think we are then? So I think that's, I think that's what he says then, unless that's what he says at the bar, but I think that's what he says right at the car. And they just have the kind of conversation there and he eventually does get into the uber we have that tension they don't actually you know have that moment where, where they kiss where we're thinking they might uh his uber goes off nora like you said takes that left to right walk that was again an off the podcast uh conversation it was off the podcast, Damn, Adam, yeah I, so so celine song has <laughs> talked about this kind of very knowingly they come out of the steps to the apartment and they move from right to left in this continuous shot. So the camera tracks right to left, basically from the present into the past. Nora takes Haysong, her past. She leaves him in her past. He gets to the Zuber, he drives off. They have a moment which certainly gives some element of finality to things. And then the camera starts to move on the track again and she takes off from left to right back from our past to our present and towards our future, uh, which is with Arthur, who is sitting on the on the steps, I guess, on the kind of stoop outside their apartment, waiting for her. Um, and as she walks back, you can see her starting to get emotional. And as she gets started, she just completely, like the floodgates open, she bursts into tears. Which is... I know, very, very, very effective and affecting because God, part of me wants to see the conversation they had after that because I like watching them talk. Um, they're two characters that I like, could just watch them have like not even arguments, conversations um, all the time. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine, you know, the actual whole fallout that comes from something like this and the fact that it is autobiographical and she's made a movie about it and she's still with the man she was married to from America. Um, fascinating. It all makes for a great movie. It does because you can interpret that however you want. And I have how I did and you'll have how you did and and then some people will be wrong. Um, but anyway, that's... Uh, Wow. That sounds like that sounds like you're very confident. You have a way that you interpret that's right and that I have a way that I interpret it that's wrong. That's what that sounds like. No, 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 not you. Not you. <laughs> it okay, anyone that's like she realizes in that moment that he is her lost love and she's regretting everything and they should have run away together. Anyone that interprets it like that is wrong. There's nuance ab- I... around that. I think if we were to actually dive into it, as I alluded to earlier, I think there's an element of just like a culmination of like personal discovery and getting to know herself better. Again, not just in a personal sense, but in a sense of identity and wrestling with what it means for who she was as a 12-year-old girl leaving Korea to who she's become now. But I, I think also there, like, 
you you could spin it as there's some element of gratitude for for yeah. Arthur. And I think at its simplest level, you could spin it as she is overwhelmed by what she's been going through the last few days at a night where she's had these two men who, whatever way you want to put it, are central to her life, sitting either side of her at a bar where one of them is basically professing his love to her um, while the other can't hear what's going on because it's happening in a different language. Like, that's that's a lot, and I think that's kind of part of what happens there. But that's also not something that's just like a, you go in, you close the door, and then she's like, huh, yeah, okay, what's on TV tonight? Or And, you know, so that's all really interesting. Also, not to be left out, it looked like they had been drinking for several hours. So sometimes you get to that point in the tired night. And and, yeah, tired, emotional, cauldron of emotions. And one of the other aspects, like you said, the self-discovery is she's different people when she's isolated with each guy. And she can like that the version of her that she is in each of those scenarios. And, and I guess in the one with Hey Sung, it's the like you can kind of turn your brain down scenario. Uh, um, in terms of I don't you know, really having do the, think that's true. I think that's true. The having I'm the, trying like, not to be mean about that character, but I mean, there you know, there's we connect with people on different levels. There are friends that I will have certain conversations with, and friends that I will not have those conversations with, and that's okay. But you know, uh, she was dealing with a lot in that moment. Uh, I'll stick to the cauldron of emotions. And uh, just the culmination of a few days that were very emotionally complex. And sometimes you just need to let it all out. And uh, who better to let it all out in front of than Arthur? Yeah, if you thought the emotions of this film and its various romantic elements uh, were complex. Next week, we're going to talk about the latest film from Ira Sachs, Passages, which is uh, also a love triangle of sorts, I guess. And I'm uh, <laughs> very excited to talk about it. I I look forward to Andrew seeing it. I was at a preview screening of it last night with Iris Axe, so I might have some useful information I can bring to next week's podcast. Um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe maybe I'll give you another couple of Iris Axe movies that you might get to check out, and we could talk about him more generally too. But that will be the main subject next week's pod. Would be passages. Uh, I'd recommend you come back for it. I recommend you check out past lives if it's not still playing in a theater where you are or if you're in my part of the world if it's not about to come out in the theater that means it will be available for you on vod to rent buy whatever you may choose so go check it out it really is one of the better films of the year it is very much worth watching and we'll probably find ourselves talking about it again as we move into december january february i don't know march don't know when the oscars are next year don't have to worry about it yet, but we will get there. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the next time. Until then, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's make time for this. You should also check out the rest of the GSPN shows. It's the Eurostep Podcast Network, the main feed for all things Milwaukee books. Talking to Tundra for everything Green Bay Packers. And cruising for a bruising with myself and Andrew for all Milwaukee Brewers movies. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Em.